What's going on, guys? Spring break just started for uh, us here at Broken Arrow today, Friday. So um, I'm going to be going down to Dallas, hang out with some family. Uh, wish I lived a little closer to the beach. That's where we'd be rolling to, but um, not this year. I know we're going to be listening to a couple of the podcasts that we've already recorded, so uh, we're excited to do that. Me and my wife and my kids uh, all listen to a little bit more football, uh, get a little more of that in our life. But um, we are still going to be putting out two episodes next week, even though it's uh, spring break for us. So you guys still stay tuned to those. we got some really, really good ones coming for you guys. You can also check out RTP Premium. Uh, check out all of our videos that we've got up right now um, and everything else on our website. Uh, so you guys make sure and go check that out at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute is offering a spring ball special exclusively just for our subscribers, you guys. Uh, between now and April 15th, the first eight subscribers of Run the Power who purchase a GoRoute system will be eligible to receive $700 in discounts off their package or receive two additional units added to their package at no cost, which is a $700 value. To take advantage of GoRoute's Spring Ball Special, go to GoRoute.com and request a quote using the promo code RUNPOWER19 in the comments section. Again, go to GoRoute.com, uh, enter the promo code RUNPOWER19 in the comments section uh, under request a quote. Uh, so you will be eligible for your $700 discount off of your GoRoute package. Learn more at GoRoute.com. Uh, you can email them at sales at GoRoute.com or just give them a call at 866-777-1448. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication. Offering cutting-edge technology and innovation, Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new-and-use headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. Throughout their expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. They're family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality. Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. Visit them at sidelinepower.com, at info at sidelinepower.com by email, or give them a call at 800-496-4290. This episode is also brought to you by uh, Guardian Caps. Both of our programs uh, at Broken Arrow and Ankeny invested in Guardian Caps this year, and we feel that they are really helping our guys out. Uh, they're soft shell helmet covers that reduce impact during practice and are used by over 100 colleges and 1,000 high schools. Texas, Clemson, Oklahoma are just a few of the colleges using them right now. Check out our show notes to see what Coach Lincoln Riley has to say about them at OU and to get some pricing. Uh, and they're actually a lot more affordable probably than you guys would even think. Uh, go check them out at guardiancaps.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Tyler Schneider. Coach Schneider is the OC and quarterbacks coach at Bigsby High School in Bigsby, Oklahoma. Listen as we talk with Coach Schneider about his offensive and play-calling philosophy, winning four state championships at Bigsby, and how they use multiple tight ends and multiple formations to create matchups favorable to the Spartans in the run game and passing game. You can follow Coach Schneider on Twitter at tschneider1014. Hope you guys enjoy.
I'm a uh, Weatherford, Oklahoma graduate, 2004, out in western Oklahoma, uh, you know, where the wind never stops blowing. Uh, played played quarterback out there for Woody Roof, uh, who on that side of the state is kind of a, a legendary coach. Um, was fortunate enough to get to play in a state championship when I was in high school. I uh, went up to Stillwater and he got absolutely demolished by Glenpool. Uh, back when Courtney Tennille was there, I think he maybe set the state rushing record on us that year. They had uh, they had some runs with a couple of uh, running backs those those few years. They did, yeah. They uh, uh, they won it that year, and then the next year I think they were maybe uh, runners up, and uh, they they were pretty good there in the early two thousands. Uh, they they beat us my junior year in the championship, and then beat us out of the playoffs my senior year also. So. Uh, always nice to get to drive home past that stadium and have those memories, you know. <laughs> uh, so after high school, I went to SNU and Bethany, an NAI school. They're Division Two now, but uh, they were NAI when I was there. Um, played for a couple different coaches, got to play in a couple different systems there. Uh, ended up getting to play three and a half years, which was pretty cool. Uh, getting a lot of game time experience there. I uh, graduated there in 2008, um, did my student teaching out of SNU. I knew uh, I'd, I'd get to play in the All-State game for Ty Prestige that was at Mustang at the time and might have thrown it more in that All-State game than I did my entire high school career combined. Uh, Coach Prestige was one of the first guys spreading it out four wide, all that kind of stuff. So when I finished up with college ball, I knew uh, I wanted to do my student teaching and and get some coaching experience in. So I called Coach Prestige up, and uh, he let me kind of help out and, and do the running backs gig there in, in Mustang that season. That was 2008. Um, super fortunate. They ended up having a great team that year, 12-1. and one. Uh, Went all the way to the semifinals before we lost. Uh, so that was my, my first experience coaching. Uh, really fortunate, like I said. That was my team, senior year. You guys, yeah, you guys beat us out, I think, at Mustang that year. At Mustang, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. uh, my junior year, sorry, punt for a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Webster, I, Kyle Webster, I think it was his first name. Quarterback was a real good player for us. And a so, big offensive lineman. Yes, uh, Bronson Irwin that yes. uh, went to yes. OU for a while. I think he even played in the NFL for a season or so. Um, so that was my my first taste of coaching. Was awesome, right? Hardly even lost. Uh, Ran into the, the jinx machine there in the semifinals. And then a coach that I had, had played for uh, in college was moving to Iowa to help a good friend of his start a football program up in northwest Iowa, uh, middle of nowhere. We were 30 minutes south of Minnesota and 20 minutes east of South Dakota. Uh, so it was up there where there's probably more cows than there are humans. Um, <laughs> went up there for two seasons. Uh, kind of took, took my licks a little bit. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of success on the field, but it was a great experience for me as a young coach uh, at that level, getting to be a position coach, getting a lot of responsibility, you know, did the GA thing, get coffee, pick people up at the airports, but also got to hold meetings, be a part of the game plan, all those type of things. Uh, so like I said, did that for two seasons uh, with John Hevener. He was the head coach there. Uh, he's at Southeastern and Durant now. Um, decided after two years, that was kind of the GA stint for me. I uh, wanted to get back into high school or, or small college and actually get paid. 
So started putting the resumes out, uh, got a call from a guy that I'd coached with and, and became friends with at Mustang and said, Hey man, I just gave your name to a guy. I expect a call. You know, he may want to talk to you. And about two minutes after hanging up, coach Montgomery here at Bixby gave me a call and, uh, you know, the rest is kind of history. I've been here for, uh, going into my ninth year now. Um, and you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to be a part of what coach Montgomery's got going on here and what he's building here. So it, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, had some experience, you know, high school, small college, and back now high school, kind of getting to see how different levels of football work. Was that coach Montgomery's uh, first year or how long had he been at Bigsby when you, when you came over? I got to Bixby Coach Montgomery's second year. Um, he had had Paul Hicks, who uh, went from Bixby to Stillwater, uh, was head coach at Moore, and is now at Midwest City battling us every year in the semifinals, it seems like now. Uh, had been here for a year, and then I came in in his place when he left. So I got here at uh, Coach Montgomery's second year. I love, I love talking to the, to the Bigsby guys, especially like we had Coach Montgomery on one of our first uh, – one of our first guests, but to me, it's just such a cool thing and, and almost the way, and it's not super comparable, I guess, to Broken Arrow, but I saw it almost the same way because when I was growing up, Bigsby was like the team that, to me, like I never even thought of. They didn't really win in my mind. They're just, you know, a team over there, whatever. And then it was like, I came back from college, uh, going to college, and it was like they had completely changed and they were a powerhouse. And then, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, as a 6A2 team, even even beat Jinx. And then, uh, you know, honestly probably should have beat them the year before. I'm sure you guys thought that as well, but um, that it was a close game. And, and um, you know, I think you guys I think you guys lost by whatever it was, something really small, but just watching the film-wise, it was probably your guys' game to win. So the two years in a row where um, Jinx might have been state champions those years or, or were definitely in the state championships, you know, you guys beat them, which was a huge turnaround from uh, before – at least in my mind it was, before uh, Coach Montgomery got there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's something that, that, you know, Coach Montgomery does a great job. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I work for the best, best coach in the state, in my opinion. He does, does things great, and that's one of the things since day one that I got to Bixby that he's talked about is those signature wins, those program-defining wins, you know, that get you over the hump, that they get the kids to believe, get the community to believe. And even if we were fortunate enough in 2014 and 2015 to win state championships, we still didn't have that, that signature win, you know, beat one of the, the big names, one of the guys that everybody in Oklahoma knows about. Uh, like I said, in 16, we were right there. Uh, we are four yards away from a win. Yeah. Called a naked bootleg to the quarterback. Uh, not a bootleg pass, but just a, uh, for him to pull it, go get it the first down, and, and we'll take a knee. And reversing out, the guard steps on his foot, and we fall down. End up having to punt the ball to them, and they, you know, Coach Maddox and those guys put together an 85-yard drive and win the game with five seconds left or whatever. <laughs> uh, so that was that's probably one of the toughest losses we've had at Bixby, just because it could have been such a big deal for for those kids on that team and for the program. And then, like you said, the the next year coming in uh, at our place, we kind of put it all together and and played maybe one of our best games of that season and then did get the win. So uh, that's a big deal. And it's something that Coach Montgomery was talking about since 2011 when I got here, those signature wins, program-defining wins. And that was a, that was a big one for us, really kind of helped get the community to get over that hump that, 
jinx bug, you know. Coach, what's one of the things I know we've had uh, Coach Montgomery on, and I've I've known Lauren now since about 2010 when, when I worked at Jinx. Um, what are some of the things that he does to kind of, you know, develop his staff and, and make sure his guys are, are staying cutting edge? Because I think that's, you know, one thing you probably got from, from Coach Trimble. But, I mean, if you were going to work in a, in a program of his, I mean, you're going to be a continuous learner and you're going to learn new things about football and new things about how to coach. Yeah, that that's a definite for sure. Uh, you know, I listened to, to his podcast with you guys today just to kind of get my mind right, a little, little pregame. And I, he even said it on there, something he's always telling us is the, uh, you know, when you're green, you grow. When you're ripe, you rot. And I've heard that since day one working with him. And it's something that he stresses with us. Uh, you know, always keep learning, always stay on that cutting edge. But probably bigger than anything is he gives us that opportunity. Uh, we're fortunate at a place that if we have opportunity to go to a clinic, he can make that happen. If we need a, a membership to run the power premium or, you know, whatever you guys are calling it, I was on there today checking out stuff. Uh, he can make that stuff happen for us. So that's a big deal. Uh, and he encourages it. And just, it, we understand that that's the expectation. Uh, we all need to be learning, getting better, studying. Uh, and that that's not just on the football field, schemes. Uh, we've done a bunch of uh, how to make our, our kids better people, better uh, uh, citizens, that type of stuff. Uh, we all are big in learning the weight room. Uh, I think we've got three or four different guys that are USAW certified uh, in the weight room. So it's just kind of an expectation that uh, if we're going to be on the staff, it's going to be a motivated staff that wants to be better and wants to do better. Uh, and it starts with him. He sets a tone. He's been that way uh, and just has – he has a great vision. I, I say that's his biggest attribute is he has a vision and then just kind of leads all of us in that direction, does a great job of it. Well, that's what I was going to say to me, and, and I'm sure known for a lot of things, but Bigsby, in my mind, when I think about it in the last few years, that's kind of what I thought of him as is, is a big weight room program. I mean, when you see the, you guys roll out, especially against some of the 6A2 teams you guys play and then – some of, if you were playing some of the 6A1 teams that you'd roll out against, I mean, just obviously have made the weight room a priority. And, and I see that on social media and different things as well with, with uh, you know, it's always cool. You guys get to go out and, and do a big thing in front of the community about the, uh, your, your cleans and different things. But um, you can tell just by the way you, your guys roll out on the field and, and the amount of, of uh, bigs that you guys send to the next level. You know, you, you've always got some good skill kids and, and you guys have always had good, you know, quarterbacks the past few years that do a good job. But, I mean, your, your big-time guys you guys seem to send off are the big offensive linemen, big defense linemen, and they're big, strong kids. And, and me and Walls have talked about this before, but a lot of times that's where it comes down to winning those games. That's why, to me, Jinx was always – so Jinx and Union were always so far ahead of Broken Arrow for a while was – was because that weight room was so much better that uh, they didn't have any glaring weaknesses. Even their kids that weren't very good at least were really strong and, and can do some things with that. And that's what I've always kind of thought of Bigsby as, especially the last few years. Just, I mean, they, they go out there and they stay you know, fairly healthy and are strong enough to um, do what they need to do out on the field as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, Coach Montgomery's a – uh, to me, what makes him great is he's a program builder. We don't we don't depend on this is a good group. Uh, we've got good athletes in this group. We're going to try to be 
the same team every year. And like you said, that starts in the weight room. Uh, that's the cornerstone of our program. Uh, we had a Clayton Moister in from Iowa State a couple years ago, and he talked about the 10-80-10 rule. He said you've got those the 10% of guys that are going to be the best players on the team no matter what you do as a coach. They're just that good. Uh, you got the 80% of guys that you can affect. Uh, you can you can train them up. You can coach them. And then you got the 10% that are, you know, there for the, the pregame meal or to hang out or to stand on the sideline. Uh, and that's probably true. And we think that by coaching up that 80%, that's where we can find the edge. Uh, we can take that mediocre eighth grade lineman and by the time he's a junior or senior, he still be, might be, or probably will be a mediocre athlete. But if we put muscle mass on him, um, you know, built his strength, built his confidence, uh, he can go out there and get the job done for us. And we've had a lot of instances of that where, you know, he's a B team eighth grader, but by the time he's a junior, he's out there mixing it up and, and gives us a chance to win. And that's something, you know, talk about linemen. We've had a good run of linemen here lately, some some big old monsters up there that make my job easier as a play caller. But that's really across the board, uh, our whole team, our whole whole offense, uh, especially in our defense too. But, you know, it's something that, you know, our skill guy coaches uh, take pride in too, something that they, they joke about. Uh, I know this year when we'd come off the field after a big long run and a receiver makes a, a devastating block or hooks up good, they're talking about that squat squat rack, you know. Uh, that's weight room stuff there, not catching fades and that stuff. They get excited about that too, but our guys get just as excited about mm-hmm. doing the, the strength, the strong stuff on the field, which I think is really cool. And and that's what to me, and I learned from Walls really, is that's what breaks the big runs. I mean, if your line's good, oh, yeah. you're probably going to get the four to five yards no matter what. But difference from going five to 75 is, is a receiver getting in there, digging out a safety and, and finishing that off. Yeah, it, it really is. And what we sell to our kids, and, uh, you know, we started kind of emphasizing it 2013, 2014, and now to deal where they emphasize it to the younger guys uh, is not only are you helping out the running back, but that DB that's getting the life blocked out of him every play, mm-hmm. he doesn't cover posts very well. He doesn't tackle the hitch very well. You know, um, there's more to it than just blocking for the running back because they see the benefit not only for their teammate but for themselves. So you, you're getting after that guy all game. He's going to wear down. He's not as fast. He's not as uh, explosive after he's been blocked for three quarters or, or whatever it might be, you know. Yeah, we, we started showing, you know, some of our guys. We, we built a board that the, the guys loved, so it, it got competitive in the receiver room. So, you know, there'd be guys – it was awesome because it was kind of twofold. You know, one, you know, they're, they're competitive and they want to win. And the second thing was they'd watch a lot more film because now they're watching themselves and they want to make sure that Coach Walls didn't miss one. So it ended up kind yeah, of having a, sure. a nice benefit there. And then I think, you know, the other thing that it did was we could really talk like, you know, hey, body blows and body shots. So I started pulling like, you know, MMA fights of, of guys getting beat in the third round or getting beat in the championship rounds. Yeah. You know, maybe you kind yeah, of show how, how fast that, that guy's moving in the first round. You know, hey, look at – yeah, everyone's got energy in the first quarter. I said, but now look yep. at this guy get broke down and look at him getting ground and pound and then watch him tap out here at the end. And then just allowing those guys to see that and be like, hey, that, that can be you, man. All of a sudden you make that big play in the fourth quarter because you lifted harder and, and you're going to have that mentality and, and that's just the way it is. But I think – really building that mentality in those, you know, so-called prima donna positions, it takes it to a whole new level because now they have a new respect from their teammates. Definitely, for sure. Uh, 
in 2014, our wide receiver coach, uh, Coach Waz, started a deal. He called called those guys the Goons, and so now they have a you know a little replica WCW or whatever it's called now uh, championship belt. So each week there's a Goon of the Week that gets the belt, and they get to take it out to practice and kind of show off and everything. And it's grown into a monster in a good way uh, to the point this year that Brennan Presley, our little slot receiver that's maybe the best skill kid I've ever coached, is uh, lining up at number two in trips so he can block for the bubble. You know, hmm. <laughs> he doesn't want to catch the bubble. He wants to get the <laughs> block for the bubble so he can be the, the goon of the game. He said, you know, Brennan, what in the world are you doing? You're supposed to be the inside guy catching the bubble. He said, "Yeah, coach, but I want to. I want to get the goon. I, I need to get the block some too. So uh, that, I think that's a big deal when you get to that mentality. Uh, and it, and like you said, the the teammates respect it, um, and, and the younger kids they they're as excited about getting out there to block on Friday nights as they are catching the football. And I think that's awesome. It, it helps you be a, a well-rounded offense for sure. It's pretty fun when those kids start to you know tweet you or they text you during a game." And it's not, you know, like the, the championship game is funny because, you know, you got guys texting you because, you know, the Justin Ross kids making one-handed catches and, you know, but, but they're yeah. all about the, hey, man, did you see him throw the guy to the ground, you know, and the guy – Oh, my, yeah. My thing's always the, the MFI, you know, the guy – the mistake fake injury, you know, a guy makes a mistake and fakes an injury. So, mm-hmm. uh, and all the kids are saying that. But then it's all, you know, hey, did you see that long run coach? The guy had a block. So, I mean, that's when you know the culture's taking hold. But it's, it's, it's pretty fun to – to hear it and see it from those guys yeah it really is it really is it's fun to it, it, the, the best part of all of it is that getting in on the ground level with coach montgomery and and watching that thing take hold um i remember when i got here in 2011 listening to him talk about the vision that he had uh and at times i thought he was crazy you know but he stuck to it uh and and his light at the end of the tunnel i think at times was brighter than mine um but he, he, he made sure we saw it and we saw it through and there's, you know, still a handful of us that have been, been through it all, been here since the beginning. And that, that's probably the sweetest thing of seeing these kids react the way they do is knowing where we were, where, where we've come from and seeing that buy-in and into those type of things, into the weight room, into doing the little things. Um, it makes it rewarding, you know? Well, go, well, coach, the, the interesting part for me was going into this, this episode was that um, luckily I, I'd been able to actually watch you guys, you know, play a lot over the last four years. Like I said, you guys always start off with one of your first games, Jinx, and then Jinx is normally pretty early in our season. So we just happen to get, you know, and, and we watch Jinx's defense, we're going to play him. And so we get to see a lot of you guys on offense and, and uh, one of the very few teams that makes it really nice for us that actually plays with, um, a tight end, let alone two tight ends, you know, and so you guys were one of the first offenses maybe ever, and maybe I just hadn't studied up a whole lot at the time, but even now that you guys use at certain seasons, a lot of two tight ends, which is, you know, rare enough, but then you also have a lot of uh, RPO or play actions, you know, I'm not sure which ones they are, but um, a lot of really cool stuff off of two tight end sets that are really fun to watch and and like I said, like a, a mold between offenses that you don't normally see. What was the the vision behind that, or what? How did how did some of that stuff start coming about? The the two tight end RPO game, and and um, you know some different things like that. It's always fun for me to watch you guys play. Yeah, well, uh, you know, um, in the, in the off season, kind of 
I, like I said, I kind of cut my teeth with Coach Prestige, which is a, a two-by-two wide receivers and a three-by-one right. wide receiver set. Uh, so anytime I get on the board and I'm going to draw the base version of a play, that's how I'm going to draw it. I think it drives Coach Montgomery nuts. Um, <laughs> but So that's kind of where my mind starts. But in the off-season, uh, in the spring, when we're getting ready for spring football, we go in and we, we rank our offensive players who's our very best player, who's our next best player, you know, and we'll go top 10 or 11, 12 guys, however many it takes to rank. And then we look at that and we say, okay, you know, in, in 2017, three of our top five players are offensive linemen and tight ends. We need to be in those type of sets. Um, in 2014, we had half a tight end. You know, he was a defensive starter, played a little bit of tight end, so we were more 10 personnel. Um, so just kind of as our offense has evolved, we try to build it through the mindset and we get it written in the office and it stays up all year that it, it kind of the order of operations is players, formations, plays. So we want to get our best players on the field in the formations that they can work out of best and then run our plays out of that. So long answer, get back to what you're asking. Um, after I've drawn it up in two by two wide receivers, now we plug in our double tight end stuff and how do we run those base plays with this personnel group or however it might be. Um, so we have gotten to where we do some ace or some of our, we call flex, sniffer, uh, H back, whatever you want to call it. We call those guys tight ends in our offense, um, but still try to run those base plays, the simple uh, quick out RPOs, the tight end down the middle of the field, pop pass type stuff um, that we would still run the same base play out of two by two, uh, 10 personnel or three by one, 10, uh, 10 personnel, but just get to it out of our, our tight end sets. Is that something because you, you know, you, you guys, especially lately, I know it's your, you know, like you said, you, you, we, and we've done the same thing. Uh, it's funny to, it's funny to hear some of the things that you guys do at Biggs because it's the same thing. A lot of it's is similar to what we do at Broken Arrow. And, and I can only assume that it all kind of comes back to coach Trimble, uh, you know, with that coach, that Trimble tree. Uh, coming down with the coaches, but uh, we've done the same thing, rank those guys, and I know, you know, you say you're top 11 or 12, but also I'd assume, you know, you guys want to, um, because Coach Montgomery, and I'm sure you as well now, that you know, do enjoy having tight ends, and it is so different for, for uh, defenses. How do you, how are you guys trying to, um, you know, build these tight end type kids? Because we hear the same thing every week from every coach almost. It's like everyone always says, we just don't have any tight end type kids uh, in our program, you know, we don't have any six, five, 275 pound guys that, that can go catch a ball and block everybody. And you're like, we're like, yeah, no, yeah, we get it. No one almost has that guy walking around, but there's still teams that can make guys into tight ends and that kind of make it a priority to develop tight ends. So what are you guys doing? Maybe even in practice or, or whatever, how are you guys trying to uh, develop some of these tight ends? So you are able to go into uh, these different formations that give you the best formations for that game? Uh, yeah, you know, um, disclaimer here, the last couple of years, two, three years, we've been extremely fortunate and we did have, you know, two or three of those guys uh, that just kind of fell in our lap or big monsters that can get up and down the field and everything. But when we haven't had those guys and then moving forward this year, we won't have those guys. Uh, we do a lot of just, just looking for that, the guys that can get it done, um, mainly the intelligence of being able to do it, the guys that – because that's a 
Right. That's a tough position, and I didn't realize it until I got into coaching because they're really not truly one thing. They're they're halftime linemen. They're halftime wide receivers. They've got to know the whole run game. They got to know the whole pass game. And then for us, every one of them starts at linebacker typically. Um, yeah. So it's got to be a kid that can grasp everything mentally first. Um, and then obviously, I, I hate to circle always back to it, but I think it is that big of a deal for us. Uh, build them in the weight room. You know, um, our starting tight end or one of our starting tight ends this year wasn't that big bodied kid, but he really attacked the offseason last year and uh, his numbers jumped up. He got a lot stronger and he was able to start both ways for us. And He's extremely intelligent, so he, he did a good job of putting himself in the right place to do those things. Um, another thing that I think we've done uh, that's really benefited us is we now have a tight ends coach, which I know at a lot of schools that's hard to – maybe it's the tight ends with the backs or the tight ends go with the linemen or whatever. They don't really have that true home base coach. Um, but now that we've got a tight end coach, I think that's going to – it's really helped us advance those guys. Um, because they're able to get coached on every single rep. They're not getting a little bit from the wide receiver coach, a little bit from the O-line coach. They're getting more focused in coaching, and I think that helps a ton uh, for us. I think I always thought, you know, if I got into, you know, head coaching again at some point, I was thinking, you know, that might be a position that, you know, a head coach could take if you're at a place that maybe you have, you know, limited numbers of coaches and probably can find some O-line guys, probably can find some, you know, QB receivers guy can kind of coach both those. But, you know, if you're wanting to be a, a tight end offense, you know, a, a head coach can take that. Cause I think a lot of times those guys too are going to help you on special teams and it kind of gives you some avenues there. But I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I, it's, it's really going to be hard to, you know, develop a position if you don't have a guy coaching it. So to me, that's yeah. the, the whole key, you know, no, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, I've I've thought about that too. Used to, you know, checking out coaches' bios here and there, and you see a offensive coordinator, tight end coach, and think, what in the world? <laughs> that doesn't seem like a, a typical offensive coordinator position. But then again, uh, who better to teach the entire offense to one player than the guy that is doing the entire offense? You know, um, so like you said, head coach, offensive coordinator. I think those are. Uh, good positions for that fortunately for us I get to keep keep my dream job of coaching quarterbacks because we've got a guy uh, coaching our tight ends now that does a really good job and, and can get the job done for us uh, but I think you're right um, it's it's a position that's often overlooked um, and it really is one that probably takes the most coaching you know because they're they're kind of a split position so when you first got to Bigsby and, and it's always interesting to me to, to hear this but uh from anyone but you, you know you come in like you said your very first you're going to draw a play up you're you're thinking your first thoughts two by two or three by one and then you go to be the offense coordinator for a head coach that uh you know from everything I've heard from coach Montgomery you know from when he was at Jinx was a very uh a heavy personnel type of guy and he's an offensive line coach and so uh you know leads you to believe that he's more of a you know 21 12 uh type guy personnel wise and so uh how did, you know, how did you try to mesh your offense with, um, you know, getting, like I said, used to going two by two with everything and now um, trying to work a little bit more into uh, where the head coach sees the offense as well? Uh, you know, 
I, I can assure you I've heard plenty about God's formation from, <laughs> from Coach Montgomery, you know, and I'm sure you guys, if you've been around the Jinx tree, you know all about uh, some ace, ace twins. Yeah. But uh, my first couple of years, you know, there were some times we did butt heads about uh, the most effective way to get things done. And I'm, I've never been anti-tight end. Sure. It just I didn't know if we had those guys. Um, and, and so we, we've kind of gone back and forth, and it took us a while to get on the same page and understand. And, and I, I think Coach Montgomery does a great job, and I'd like to think I do a great job of knowing that we both are, are after the same goal, right? right. Um, winning football games and scoring points. But yeah, it was a little bit of a transition there, there in the beginning. Um, and I can remember uh, having a difference of opinion. You know, he, he thought we needed to be running the ball a little bit more. I thought maybe we needed to spread it out a little bit more. And to be totally honest with you, when you're not a real good team, I don't know if either answer is the right answer, you know. <laughs> sure. uh, but fortunately, as we got a little bit better, um, and and I think I probably grew up as a play caller some, and, and we'd work together longer. We just kind of found that mold to where I think he's got faith in me and trust that I'm going to do what's best and, and what we as a staff have decided is best, whether that's 10 personnel, 11 personnel, or all the way to uh, 22 personnel, you know. And we've kind of molded that to game plan or by season or whatever it might be. Um, and he's definitely more comfortable with those guys in the game. And he's changed my thoughts a little bit. I, I'm definitely uh, always going to have a tight end in any offense I'm in because it does add so many dimensions to your run game. Sure. Uh, and even in the pass game, it can create some mismatches, you know. Um, but we've been anything from, you know, uh, going into the state championship this year, our main two formations were uh, 22 jumbo personnel and five wide empty. Hmm. That's what we went into the game with. This is how we're going to win. And it turned out that our – our wide receiver that was playing Wildcat quarterback and 22 personnel had 222 yards rushing and three <laughs> touchdowns. So we're going to, we're going to do whatever we think will work the best. But yeah, like you said, it was a little bit of a transition going from, um, I think maybe in jinx where I think tight ends grow on trees to, um, my mindset, we're only going to use one. If we have one, we've kind of met in the middle and, and make it work pretty well. I think they did have some good ones at jinx for some of those years. No, man. It seems like every time we play them, uh, Coach Flowers, our defensive coordinator, is talking about some big, nasty monster that they've got at tight end every single year. So uh, <laughs> those guys do a good job over there. Coach, talk a little bit about uh, – I know Coach Montgomery's. he's clinicked with me a, a few times about, you know, uh, RPOs. Maybe what, what are some of your favorite ones, you know, kind of down in distance? You know, I'm always kind of interested in, in hearing – you know, what, what guys are kind of doing with that is, you know, what percentage of your offense is it? You know, what do you think the future of is of it is? Because it always seems like it's one of those things. It's almost like talking about abortion. You know, it cuts people right down the middle. You get the, the hard <laughs> yeah. You get the hardcore dudes that are like, you know, oh, run power often. And then you got the other ones like, hey, you know, this is the future of the game. So, you know, obviously the yeah. answer is somewhere in the middle. But I'm, I'm always liking to get some of the perspective from some of the guys, you know. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Um, we RPO every single run play. There's going to be some sort of pass option. Um, and then the, the way we break it down is we're either going to have one pass option or two pass options uh, on every single play, either one side of the field or both sides of the field. 
but we don't do the second level RPO stuff as much. Yeah. Um, you know, the, um, I think John Gruden said it on his quarterback camp one time, ridiculous protection offense. <laughs> uh, and I do think, I do think if you're second level, third level reading the, the, the deep posts and stuff, we'll just call play action in that situation. Um, but we do RPO a lot. Uh, I would say it's, it's a big, big, big part of our offense. Um, and as far as where, where is RPO and, and that style of offense going, I think it's going to continue to evolve, but I think it's kind of plateaued in, uh, you know, there at the beginning, it, it was an explosion of ideas. And now people are kind of settling into, okay, what, what actually works? What is getting the job done and what's just too creative? What, what are you doing just because you can type of stuff? Um, and then you said, what, what's our favorite or what do we do a lot of? I think just like anybody, we do a lot of the single wide receiver stuff. And then if we've got multiple wide receivers, we're going to try to fill the bubble as many times as we can. Uh, like I said, our, our wide receivers take pride in blocking. So that's what we want to try to get to. Um, I look at and I see the double slant stuff, and we will do some of that. But to me, if, if we catch a double slant, now there's a, a guy that can pass us, whereas if we catch the bubble, we get to block that guy. Uh, so we try to go bubble uh, as often as we can, and then we can come back with the, you know, vertical slants, double slants, speed out, those type of things uh, in complement to the bubble. Well, Coach, you know, talking a little bit more pass game, which you know, uh, I guess can be technically RPOs, but getting in a little more pass game is uh, what I see around – uh, or Tulsa area right now or whatever, but uh, you guys are, are very heavy, not very heavy, but you guys run your own seven on seven and, and see you guys at seven on seven and you're going to different tournaments and it seems like you guys are winning every tournament that you guys go to. But uh, how much, how much do you think that has helped you guys into the season? Because uh, you know, I know there's almost like RPOs, people are one side or the other with seven on seven, but to me, it, it has helped our guys at least, even if we don't throw a lot, at least we're getting in formations we're getting used to different concepts. Quarterbacks are getting more comfortable because they're working with their guys. So is that something that, that you kind of push to, to be able to do uh, so much seven-on-seven seven with those guys? Because you guys you guys do do a, a phenomenal job with that. Yeah, you know, I, I think seven-on-seven is a big deal. Um, for all those guys out there that say it's not real football, you're 100% right. It's not real football, but it is real competition. And to me, that's that's the biggest benefit we get out of it is that in June, July, our guys are getting to compete as a team. Um, and that, that's the biggest benefit I've seen our guys get from it. Uh, you know, six, seven years ago, whenever we were kind of first getting into the seven-on-seven -seven circuit, and we weren't as talented a team going out there wide-eyed and getting ran up and down the field to now our guys have that confidence of, we can compete with anybody. And obviously that, that stemmed a little bit from the fall. I think it also stems from in the summer going out and maybe beating the Fayetteville team in Arkansas that our kids are smart enough to know are a really good football team. And, yeah, we didn't beat them in real football, but we competed with them. And we beat them in a competition. And that starts to build some of that confidence. And then as football goes, I think it's huge, just the practice reps, um, learning the offense, learning – uh, why we want to do this or why we want to do that against certain looks or the nuances of, uh, you know, if I stem this guy vertical before I snap across the middle, I'm going to be open a lot more often than I am if I just run a lazy drag across there. Hmm. Um, so it's just a, you know, the, the thousand rep rule, right? You're going to get better when you do it more. 
and, and then add the aspect of competition to it. And I think it just, you know, that's, that's the cherry on top that makes seven on seven worth it to me. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, it, it's fun, you know, kids, yeah, like it is. kids, kids enjoy it, you know, and it's, you're talking about coaches. I mean, I, any, any good coach that I know wants to win and, you know, and wants to be in that mode too. So, I mean, I, I have fun with that as well. So I think, again, some of the guys that, that bellyache about it and complain about it, it's like you're missing the boat. You know, you're missing the point. I think, you know, if, if kids are having fun and they're learning football, how is it bad? You know, I, I, really, I'm, I really can't I couldn't get agree it. more. Competition is good. If you're, if you're playing uh, in the state championship on Friday night or if it's a ping pong tournament at your buddy's house, competition is good. You know, I think, I think that's good for you. Yeah, I mean, if, if they'd let us put the pads on and, and go play, you know, six more games in the summer, I'd do that too. But, you know, yeah, the, no the way that the, the, no the rules are, I mean, it's it's the nature of the beast. Let, let's let's push the envelope and, and let's do what we can. Hey, they're going to let us do seven on seven. Cool. Let's do the heck out of it then. And if the kids are all about it and they don't feel burnt out and they're like, Coach, I want to go to another tournament. Coach, I want to get another rep. Coach, I want to keep throwing. What, what am I supposed to say? No, this isn't real football. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, I'm with you. I'm gonna. I couldn't agree more. You know, you're talking about numbers declining and not having guys out, and we're losing guys to basketball, and they're going to do this. Well, dude, let's let's play the game. Kids that want to be great at football and want to go toss it around, by all means, let's do it. I'm all down. Yeah, for sure. It, it, you know, it, as a football coach, anytime I get to to be around football or do football, let's go. Let's rock and roll. You know, our staff, uh, we always joke about uh, outside of the, the Friday nights in the fall, team camp and seven-on-seven is the highlight of the year. Yeah. You know, get out there and compete with other guys. Man, that, I, I live for that three days of team camp. Nothing better in early June, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. And just waiting for football to get started again and, and get rolling. Um, it, and I'm kind of in a, in a cool position right now because talking to two guys that have been offense coordinators, you're still a coordinator coach, but – um, how long, and you talked about a little bit there, you know, how long did it take you to really get into that groove of being, you know, of calling plays and, and um, you know, that groove that all these coordinators like to talk about and, and have confidence with what you're calling and, and how did you, how did you gain that maybe? Is that just something that after calling plays for a few years, it's just something that, that becomes uh, almost second nature and, and it starts, you start feeling it a little bit more. Uh, or was it something that you, you think you kind of always had? Oh, man, uh, that, that's a tough question. I think it was beneficial my first season at Bixby. I was the pass game coordinator, hmm. and it was kind of a an interesting dynamic, but it worked well for us. Uh, Coach Montgomery would call the run plays, and I called the pass plays. So that was kind of my first taste of, uh, you know, live play calling. And, and I think that was good because I got to do something that I knew and felt comfortable with. Um, and was confident in so through that and then uh, you know the next year uh, he named me a a full offensive coordinator and was doing it all and was still uh, probably just calling run plays maybe like you do in Madden you know like man power sounds like it'd be good right here you know it's second and four I don't I don't necessarily know what the front might be but power sounds like a good play sure Um, and I think I've grown and evolved now to where uh, there's there's a lot better wise behind what we're doing in a lot of situations we uh i understand it i see it better and a lot of that's uh you know working with coach montgomery and and coach birch that we've got over here i think he does a great job with our offensive line 
and, and he and I kind of see the, the game the same way so we can uh, talk things through and do a good job as far as that goes. Um, but as far as calling plays, man, I think that's always something I've been interested in. I don't know if I can say I've always been good at it, you know, uh, but it's something I've always been interested in, enjoyed. You know, as a kid, you you skip the defensive set uh, part of Madden. <laughs> I still do that back today. To the offense <laughs> call plays. You know? um, yeah, yeah, as kids. And, yeah. And, <laughs> and then when uh, when I was playing in college, my absolute favorite favorite uh, thing to do is we had a little no huddle package where I got to call the play at the line of scrimmage. And uh, you know, if there was a spark or something that that lit that desire in me, that that was probably it. Hmm. Um, there's, there's nothing I would love more now than to get out there and get to do that again now that I actually know what the heck's going on on the defensive side, you know? <laughs> God, and there's no doubt when you, you get some of the we, – we could practice in the summer here and, and we got some, you know, guys that play baseball. So you, you might be down a quarterback or two, and those are my favorite days because then I get to go down with the twos and I get to play QB. Oh, I, yeah. I just get to carve those guys up. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the kids ask me, you know, how good were you, coach? And I say, well, I'm, I'm not, wasn't wasn't that great, but I'd have been a lot better if I had me as a coach. You know, <laughs> I'm joking, but at the same time, if, if I get to run our offense, holy smokes, that'd be fun. I'm jealous of those kids who get to do it nowadays, throwing it around and uh, easy completions with bubbles and hitches. I played back in the day where it was a seven step drop, seventeen yard comeback. You know. It's hard to complete seventy percent of those. Yeah, and you can just go so much faster because I mean, you know the offense like the back of your hand, so it's it's so much fun. I mean, you're you're signaling and dummy signaling, and I don't oh, know. Yeah. It, it yeah, gets it, to be it, pretty it, nuts. Uh, I mean, I probably look like the biggest slap out there, but I think I'm Peyton Manning. You know? So. <laughs> oh man, it's, yeah. But thank goodness they don't have the the film cameras on when I'm out there. You know. But. <laughs> I'm usually only good for a day or two, and then I got ice arm for the next two weeks. So. They get me out of their hair. I think I think my my elbow and my right shoulder is so bad now it doesn't even matter. It's kind of like you know the ankle <laughs> you sprain so many times, just like yep, your arm's jello. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Coach, um, yeah. I was going to ask you a little bit about like your play calling stuff. I mean, do you script plays when you when you start games, or are you kind of a dude that's like off the cuff feel? Well, you know, uh, yes and no. Uh, every game we start with ten openers scripted. Um, in my eight years of calling plays, I could probably count on one hand that I've made it through all 10 of them, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so they're there and, uh, it, I think everybody's got their own style. We try to show some different formations, see what their game plan is, but also put our, our most confident plays on there. So I might not call them 10 in a row in succession, but I'm going to try to get back to those 10. Um, at some point, if, if you're in a rut or whatever, come back to that opening set. Uh, and then this year, the first time I've ever tried it, and I kind of played around with it, uh, and I liked it, didn't necessarily stick to it 100%, but I liked it, was uh, so I'd have my 10 openers, and then I put together uh, with our wide receiver coach. Uh, he was our freshman offensive coordinator, so kind of kind of helping train him up, give him a chance to be a part of play calling stuff at the high school level. We would build four uh drive charts so uh you know six play drive of plays that we think are good that match up together well and i put that on the call sheet and you know maybe if we've been a little bit slow or struggling or we need to, to get a spark i'll go to one of those scripted drives uh for six plays at least to try to kind of get the drive started 
and this year was the first year I've done that, and I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it worked well for us and, and was pretty effective, honestly. Uh, so that's something I'll, I'll continue to do and refine and, and take with me from here. Walls, Walls, how did you how did you set it up? Because I know uh, I'd always kind of heard at least you know Jinx, and I don't know if this is even true. Just once something I heard once. So, uh, but you know, like like coaches just said, you know, they would script with whatever their script was, but a lot of it in the first you know quarter was out of a lot of different formations. See what the other team's going to line up in, and then start getting heavier into those formations. To me, though, it seemed like, and it was just my first year, so again, uh, could be completely wrong. It seemed like you probably had a, a pretty good grasp on the way teams were going to line up to us. And, and even if they're lining up a little bit different in 12 or 11, you could kind of tell, okay, they're probably going to line up that same way, different way to these other formations. So it didn't seem like we jumped around as much, maybe just because it was my first year. It seemed like you kind of more just from film uh, kind of had a better idea of where they were going to line up and had your plays that you liked against those. Or, but what, what was it? What was your thought process as an OC? Mine was always dictated, I mean, by, by hash, obviously. So I'd have it all, all lined up by hash. So if I was on the left hash, calls that I liked. And then I think, yes, I, I would be a lot like Coach Schneider going in with, you know, formations that I already liked and then schemes that I already liked. And then usually, I mean, you've done it long enough and you've seen what teams have tried to do to take away okay, you know, they're, they're a heavy inside zone team in this or they're a heavy power team in this, you know, having your constraint plays ready. Um, and I just kind of would sit there in the box. I love calling it from the box because you guys have mentioned video games a couple times. To me, when you're calling it from up upstairs, it's, it's like playing a video game. You know, when I was on the sideline, I, I enjoy the, the, the energy and the enthusiasm and, and all that, the interactions with the players, but I felt like I, I was missing things when I would go back up to the box or all of a sudden now, you know, I'd go back and look at the film and it's like, man, I was, I wasn't getting that from upstairs. They weren't telling me that they were in this coverage or they weren't telling me that they were in this coverage where now I could really see it. So as I was watching it, harp, I would have those, you know, kind of fastball plays. I always call it like a, you're like, you're a pitcher up there, you know, your fastball, your fastball. When am I going to go to the curve? When am I going to go to the slider? And, and literally I'd just be kind of up there marking on my play sheet. Yep, they're still playing us like this. They're still playing us like this. And until they'd done something to take it away, I was going to stick with the fastball. And then I was just going to know when, okay, here's my chance now. I'm going to throw the curveball. I'm going to run the counter or I'm going to throw the crank off of it. So, honestly, for me, it was always kind of just the feel. It was like a pitcher and a catcher up there seeing what they're giving me and what am I going to give him next. How long did it take for you to get into that feel, that feel of, of <laughs> things? Or, or was it game by game? Um, I would say it's probably, probably game by game. I, you know, there's some games you go in and you're like, it's not going to matter what I call, you know, some, some of the other ones, usually, you'd know, after about the first drive. Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, for me, it's, it's, it's hard to explain it because I mean, you kind of just get into that mode and I'm sure coach Schneider has been the same. You almost just kind of get in that zone and you just like, no, you know, and, and that's why I didn't really like, I mean, I liked having my menu in front of me. I liked having some reminders, but for me, it was always going to be a feel and where am I at? Boom, coming off of a turnover, you know, last game, maybe I, I threw a shot right away. Now I'm going to hand it off one time and then take my shot, you know, or I'm going to throw a screen on first down. I haven't thrown a screen in a while instead of a third down or, you know, you know, I'll, I'll throw shots on back to back plays, you know, sometimes just trying to do different things like that, that, you know, I don't know, again, 
I, I go back to MMA, trying to change up your styles, you know, and, and just keeping people off balance. You know, I'll, I'll just add to echo on that. Uh, talking about your call sheet, I've decided that I think the benis- biggest benefit of a call sheet is building the call sheet. Yep, you know, the, exactly. uh, the day before, the night before, building it, kind of gathering all your thoughts. I rarely use that thing in the box, but the, the act of building it and putting it together hmm. uh, is the benefit of the call sheet to me. You're exactly, you're exactly right. Yeah, I haven't, yeah, the, the thinking of it and the thought process of it, how you're setting it up, you know, and, and kind of the psychology yeah. of the things I'm listing first are probably the things I like or, you know, the, the, the color right. of it, you know, kind of your reminders and then you, you're putting your packages in one spot that you want to get to. I mean, you're, you're exactly yeah. right. And, literally when you get in a game you know there's there's times when i'm i'm already i'm already thinking of the formation i want and and there could be times where it's like well coach you know we didn't really practice that but our guys were so good at understanding the concepts that you could kind of shift shift gears midstream and hey we're gonna we're gonna just run it out of race lace this time okay oh yeah yeah cool we we got it you know what to do yep i mean that was was that god's formation I, i caught there that is God's formation, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I thought I recognized that one. <laughs> Hartford, I mean, Hartford already knew that race and lace was always going to be in the package just because, I mean, for me it was awesome because I, it was gonna, it could always be a check-with-me situation. We, we knew we were going to get what we want on one side or the other, hence yeah. God's formation. <laughs> now, yeah, you know, too many gaps what those defensive guys say. Too many and, gaps and you go against that. You go against those three, four guys. How are they going to play that overhang? It's a yeah. They can't stay balanced up. It's a it's a fun little thing to see how each each team does it, and they all do it a little bit differently. It's kind of cool to see um, all those all those change ups, especially those three, four guys. But um, you know, another thing that was is uh, you know kind of ingrained into the culture, of Broken Arrow, and I I would assume it's kind of another one from Jinx or from that tree is is uh, how important not just after this season, but during the season, how important, you know, self-scout is um, for an offense. And and Coach Alexander at Broken Arrow has made that a big deal, uh, even to where the point, you know, there's some lesser teams that, that we know maybe uh, that we might play in, in a, at a certain time in our schedule. And so, it, you know, that's a time building up to maybe the playoffs or maybe it's just one team before a really good team that we get to kind of, by self-scouting, build up some tendencies that way um, – you know, we can kind of, you know, a couple of ways. Either we can build up some tendencies, you know, for the big game and then break them in the big game or uh, know what our tendencies are starting to look like, break those up in the game before a big game. That way maybe they don't have as as big of a tendency on us. So um, I would assume that's kind of the same thing over there with you guys. Is that uh, – what does that look like for you during the season as far as breaking down some of your own tendencies and 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 how are you got how do you try to use those to your advantage in some of the bigger games you know that's something that uh it's something that we try to be cognizant of but it's one of my you know every off season you probably you, know, you guys are probably saying you write down your three or four things that we need to be better at uh we want to maybe explore this or, or do this and that's number one on the list this year is to to refine ourselves scouting we've done it and we get information from it, but um, our goal, or my personal goal next year, is to kind of have a more clear cut. What exactly am I getting out of this? It's almost a, a math equation. Sometimes there's too much information, and I don't know um, how to digest it. I guess, but yeah, we do a lot of self scouting. Um, 
and look at it as much from our standpoint as from a defensive standpoint. Well, what are we doing that's good? Um, are we running plays that haven't been good and we continue to run them just because we like them? Um, are we staying away from plays that have been good? Uh, that type of stuff, because maybe we don't feel as comfortable with it, but it's been good. We need to get comfortable with it. Um, and then also, like you said, we've kind of, um, in some of those middle of the season games, if uh, pin and pull is working, let's run it 51 times. Uh, I think we did that in 2014 <laughs> one game. Had 51, 51 outside zone carries with most of them as pin and pull. So uh, kind of build up that uh, tendency so you can break it later or, or whatever that might be. So, yeah, we do a lot of self-scouting, but that's something that – and maybe you guys can coach me up on it – something that we need to get better at as far as how to digest those numbers and, and what numbers are the ones that matter the most and that type of stuff. I don't think I can – I don't think I can help with any of that. I just know I'm supposed to to have it and give it to the OC and give it to the head man. I, I don't know that I'm smart enough necessarily to know – um, I, I'm still kind of a dumb offensive line guy. I like to look at it. And um, my favorite quote from, from Trimble uh, that I've heard is, you got tendencies for a reason. So uh, I, I'm always all about the tendencies. If they're working and we're running whatever for eight yards of carry, uh, I love that tendency. Let's keep that one up. Uh, I try to, know yeah. what our, no, try to know what our tendency is. But, um, you know, this year, again, we're really lucky to have an All-American tackle. And the tendency was to run behind him a lot. and uh, when we did, good things happened. So um, I, I think hopefully Walls, you can uh, – I, I think we did, again, here with Wilkinson and with Walls, we were very good in self-scouting. Uh, we had to know what we do. But, again, I don't know that I was ever smart enough to know necessarily what to do with those. And even when I did, I was just like, perfect. Yep, we run it a lot this way, and we run it out of this formation. Of course we do. And and uh, it hasn't been stopped yet. But – but, Walls, what were some things that you were looking to do uh, when you did notice different tendencies or, or things like that? Well, I liked – I mean, you know, you saw me. We'd, we'd put up all the run stats up on the board, um, you know, yards per carry and then the efficiency percentage. I mean, for, for me, the efficiency would tell you a lot more because, obviously, yards per carry can get skewed. You know, you rush for, mm-hmm. you know, a 90-yard run against, you know, a bad team, and all of a sudden, hey, man, we're averaging 11 yards per carry on this. Well it's only 40% efficient. You know, we've hit two huge plays. Yeah. On it. So I think, you know, ha- having that efficiency system and, and just being able to look at it maybe from two standpoints, like one, Hey, you know, we're, we're pretty good at this. We've, we've gone to get some good opponents and our efficiency numbers are, are really, really high. And maybe we have a couple of schemes that are, that are low. Okay. Well, that would give me some pieces of information. All right. Do we want to keep practicing this play? Is it, is it worth it? You know, are we not spending enough time on it but because we think it's going to be good later on in the year? Or is it a play that maybe we start to delete from the playbook and let's spend some more time on the, on the things that Coach Harper is talking about? Hey, we're going to run a lot of power behind, you know, number 72 here. Let's really get good at the 10 different fronts that teams are going to throw at us instead of running maybe, you know, a toss play or a scheme run or an outside zone. So I think that was kind of one piece it really pinpointed you because when you get to the playoffs, you know, and, and you have these good opponents, yeah, you're going to have these tendencies, but let's be super, super good at those three run schemes that we feel are, are most important. You know, our kind of your, 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 your fastball, your changeup run, and then, you know, your wide run. So I think that always gave me some clarity on that. And then to me, it was always, you know, pass game stuff, you know, and, and again, with, with, with self-scout, 
how often we're running some of these things, how effective was it? And then I guess the thing that would always kind of trump it all was, was how comfortable, you know, the quarterback was with it. So maybe I'd go back and see that this play was really, really efficient. And then I could bring the quarterback in like, Hey, is this play efficient? Cause it's really, really good. Or you feel co- you know, coach. I love that play. Don't ever, don't ever run that. Don't ever quit running that play. Let's find 10 ways to run that play. And then if it was something that we were struggling with, you could ask him, okay, what, what is the issue with this? Is it, you know, does it take too long? Are we not protecting it? Uh, coach, you know what? I just don't feel super comfortable with the read. All right, cool. It's out. So I think, you know, having them be able to see data rather than, you know, maybe they had one bad experience with the play and the kid all of a sudden, you know, is maybe scared of it a little bit. It's like, well, you know, actually, if you look at the data, it's, it's a pretty good play. Oh, I didn't know that. So I think it just gives you some conversation pieces to really pinpoint for me, practice time, emphasis, do we keep it? Do we get rid of it? Do we spend more time on it? I love that efficiency process that you have. And, and honestly, I can't, I can't believe I forgot about this, but um, you know, I run three efficiencies throughout the year uh, and that's the same thing that I use for run game. But um, you know, I do one, the first four games, which are, are, are normally um, up until jinx, I think is, is I'll, I'll wait, especially this year, you know, mm-hmm. I'll take some of our bigger competition teams, like the, the ones that are always, you know, union and then all of our non-district games. And then we try to get jinx there earlier. You know, obviously, Owasso's a non-district and the big Texas team every year. So uh, we've got a pretty good non-district. And so it's good to, like you said, break it down then, see what we're good at and what we're not against those, those top, top, top tier teams. And, and I look at that, then we do one during the season and then uh, of the regular game, uh, of the re- district games. Then we do one in the playoffs after the playoffs. But uh, and what I forgot was the biggest thing for us that helped, and it was cool to see it come to fruition at the end of the year, but after those first four games, we hadn't run inside zone very often, uh, but when we did, we were just uh, a trope. We were bad at it, you know? And so uh, another big thing you had, you had talked about was, okay, we'll go back. Let's, it was that inside zone. We were awful at inside zone. We're efficiency, yards per carry, everything was bad. And so it was like, okay, don't just say we're bad at inside zone. Let's go back and look at it. And a lot of it was our double teams, and and a lot of it was we hadn't gotten reps. I could go back and look at practice. How many have I scripted an inside? And I, I at that point said, okay, I've got however many games to the playoffs. Inside zone needs to be the number one thing that we look at improving on. We ran power really well. We're good at some different things, but we're going to need inside zone. And I knew that Coach Wilkinson uh, is one of those comfort plays as – for him as an offensive coordinator, you know, there's some plays that, like you said, coach, sometimes you're not real sure what you want at this time. And sometimes it's nice to have a, maybe a filler play even and say, okay, I know we can run this, whatever front, let me get back into where, you know, into the groove maybe a little bit. And so I knew that was one of his in the past and we were just bad at it. So I said, okay, this needs to be a big deal. Well, um, our last two games, uh, it ended up being really, really big for us being able to run zone seal, picked up a bunch of, of junk fronts for us and ended up being the play we called the most in the state finals game um, more than any other run plays. And so uh, it was really, really cool to see that and see that, okay, because we looked at this and because we saw how bad we were at this, we were able to make that adjustment and, and see it. And then my favorite part to look at after the season is uh, those negatives, you know, and, and those are always really, really telling, you know, not only how efficient is it or how many yards per carry, how many 10 plus you know, yards per carry, but how many negatives are we having on plays? Because especially with our offense this year and the and last year, uh, we, we really couldn't afford any negative plays. 
couldn't afford to get off track. I think that's good stuff that I'm I'm going to take from you guys. Uh, maybe <laughs> the best one there is Coach Trim's uh, quote about you have tendencies for a reason. I like that. Uh, <laughs> that. That makes sense. You know, I don't be don't be scared of your tendencies. They're there yeah. for a reason, right? You're doing it because it's good. So, yeah, just just making sure you know them. You know, like I mean. You, yeah. you have you have your com- constraint plays off of it, just knowing that hey, we're going to load up and take away power to the left side or power to the right side. You know, okay, the the second time we run it, then I'm going to have a play action form, you know, or or a yeah. trick play or something off of it. I think that's just the the biggest thing is, you know, they they know your tendencies. You should know your tendencies. Stay stay a step ahead of somebody rather than to kind of leave it to chance. You know, something we've talked about uh, going into next season looking at tendencies and not so much how it affects your opponent, but how it affects us. Uh, something I've looked at doing is using our tendencies to build our practice script. I think you probably do that uh, sub subconsciously, but having the data of, you know, we run the ball 65% of the time, we probably ought to script 65% of our, our team plays as run plays. And I love that. 50% of those are stretch. We need to be practicing 50% of our plays are stretch, you know? Uh, I, th- I think I've probably done that in the past just subconsciously, but I, I think I'd like to try to do it with data and, and supporting that. If we're, you know, throwing our RPOs 25%, well, we need to practice it at least that in practice just to, to stay away from practicing those plays that are really fun to draw up, but then on Friday you don't ever get out of the <laughs> I love that. I think that's a great idea. You, you know, one thing that we got lucky of this year is, Coach, you know, all of our – scripts for practice were all up in Google Drive so they all got saved so it was really easy to go into a game see what we called and then uh coach Wilkinson I always got lucky he always let me script uh, inside so it was it was really awesome for me to get, be able to see okay well how much did Wilk call whatever of these plays and then I could go back and look and say okay we weren't very good at inside zone but how much did I script inside zone and inside oh almost never okay well that's stupid of me now okay let's adjust that for the next the next week and so that was really cool and I, and I haven't thought about you know looking at our whole year total or our big game totals and saying okay well this should match what we call that what percentage that is and what percentage is which play um in our practice yeah like I said we haven't done that yet but that's a uh, you know one of those off-season lists of where can we get better uh which which wraps all the way back around to what we started the conversation with of coach Montgomery and that that improvement you know drive to be improving uh always trying to get better cutting edge but that's something i think we're going to maybe toy with next year uh is, is looking at those numbers and using them to build our practice scripts i like that too i mean it, it's one of the things we'd struggled with too you know two situations red zone offense and then uh third down offense so even going back and looking in you know games and finding averages you know how many plays did we run inside the 20 well, that's how many we should be at least practicing, you know, each week. Yeah. How, how many third down and nines do we have? How many third down and sevens? So I think finding ways to really, really practice those things and get kids kind of locked in as to, you know, this situation, we've practiced this play many times. You should already know that it's getting ready to rock and roll. And I think once we we kind of gone to a lot of those things, we saw, you know, our scoring numbers go up. And we also saw, you know, saw our guys picking up some more of those third downs because they felt a lot more confident. For sure. I think one of the stats that I never I never realized that Walls made me look at, and I'm sure you know it, coaches, but I didn't as an offensive line coach, dumb offensive line coach, is just 
how many plays are on the left or right hat. I mean, how many plays are hash plays? There's so many, very few are you ever in the middle. And for whatever reason, I just thought was always in the middle. Never paid attention as an offensive lineman. But just how important that can be with not even play selection, but how you guys are practicing that in practice. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a lesson I learned early on. Uh, when I first got to Bixby, I was coaching with Guy Gaylor. Uh, an ex-BA guy, you know, he came over to Bixby for a couple of years with yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as the defensive coordinator that first year, you know, I was I was new to it, and he'd get on to me, you know, well, gosh dang, man, quit putting the ball in the middle of the field. You don't ever snap it there in the game. Get off the middle of the field, you know, because <laughs> as a defense, you kind of the whole field at that time, you know. And yeah. then I thought about it and started paying attention and said, man, you're right, We you don't. So um, I don't know that in a – you know, seven-on-seven seven team, everything that we script, I don't know that I ever put the ball square up in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be on a hash or, or, you know, a left middle, right middle type situation in practice because, like you said, you you don't snap the ball in the middle, maybe after a touchback, uh, but after that you're not going to snap in the middle very often. Well, Coach, coming up on an hour now or, or even over, I think we got a little too excited talking football with you, but um, <laughs> uh, kind of last question I always like to ask everybody um, – and it's my only same question I always ask, but uh, if you're watching another team's offensive line, uh, as much film as you watch, you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things that they'd be doing uh, that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Oh, man, just the uh, finishing blocks has always got to be number one. I I imagine you get that answered over and over and over. Um, But as a guy that uh, designs the plays or calls the plays, I love it whenever you can tell it's a crisp, clean they know exactly what they're doing uh, their angles are good their steps are, are clean that kind of stuff is a big deal to me um obviously finishing blocks and having that nasty mentality is awesome and you want that uh but you probably get a, a wwe wrestler to get in there and get that out of the guys uh, i respect the heck out of a guy that you can tell is attention to detail and and the plays are just crisp and clean you know uh in an effort obviously um, I love to see offensive linemen run. Um, I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan, and uh, watching those guys, nothing excites me more than seeing Tyron Smith on those pinned bulls out there just sprinting down DBs. Um, so that kind of stuff, I would say, just uh, when they when it's very obvious, they know exactly what they're doing. They're trained up, and they're going to be efficient with what they're doing, and, and they know the play scheme, and they know what they're trying to accomplish. Um, the ones that bother me are, are when they're turned around, lost, and confused. And, I know that's an obvious thing, but uh, as a guy that designs a play and calls a play, it, it gets me excited when you can tell those guys are coached up and they know exactly what they're doing. There's no doubt. Uh, and, and and a lot of times offensive linemen, like you said, you want to get so into how you're doing it and this is the perfect technique to do it and, and let's make sure we're finishing and killing people and no, make a four-inch step, not a five-inch, and then uh, you go to the wrong guy and it doesn't matter anyways. And the coordinator exactly, yeah. the perfect play, but you couldn't go to the right guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. Talk about being in the booth and you see the the left tackle step left when you're running outside zone right, and it just <laughs> kills you, kills you. You know, and it was a great step, but brother, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> well, coach, man, it's been a blast. Like I said, I, I wish we could uh, we could sit here and talk for two, three hours. You, you're getting the juices flowing. So, man, I, I wish you best of luck this off season, and and hope to get down there sometime, and and let's talk some more ball soon. It's been a blast. Sounds good, man. You you came down a couple years ago, and 
really helped us out with that the pin and pull scheme and everything. It's been a good play for us. So uh, appreciate that. Appreciate you guys having me. And, and even more appreciate what you guys are doing uh, with this podcast and for football coaches. This is good stuff. And it definitely makes the off season go by a little quicker, getting to talk football and listen to football. So appreciate you guys and what you're doing. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.